Good morning. Good to see y'all. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Thanks for joining us this morning. Happy 4th of July. I hope you guys are looking forward to, you know, barbecuing with the family and blowing some stuff up. All American activities. Yeah. Um, I do hope you have a great weekend. Uh, There's going to be an announcement coming out this week in uh, the newsletter. Um, We are going to be collecting 220 packs of highlighters. Uh, We are working with Restore Network to put together back-to-school backpacks for foster families. And um, our part of the job is to collect the highlighters. There will be some information in uh, in the uh, weekly email. So if you don't get the email, swing by Connection Point. Make sure that you're signed up to get that. Um, and, uh, and look for ways that you can contribute. All right, this morning we're going to Psalms 42 and 43. Psalms 42 and 43, uh, and it is on page 469 in our Bibles, page 469 if you're using one of our Bibles. Why don't you go ahead and flip over there. This morning we're going to be doing a little bit of a heart check, okay? That's kind of the, that's kind of the goal here. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. St. Augustine said, oh God, let me know myself. And uh, the great theologian Ice Cube said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. So here's the, uh, the, here's the heart check. Uh, how's your joy? How's your joy? What's your joy quotient this morning. I was recently reminded how important joy is. I had the opportunity to go to Montana on a, on a fly fishing trip with about 15 other ministry leaders. Um, really generous church in Indianapolis sponsored this event and, and I got invited. And um, so we were out fly fishing all day and, and just having fun. And each night we would share a meal and we would do a heart checkup uh, after the meal. It was called table time. And a different leader would lead each night. And, um, and one night, I mean, one night in particular, the Lord just kind of uh, just hammered me a little bit. The leader shared Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And he just simply made a simple observation. When we lose our joy, we lose our strength. Now, we're going to keep doing the things we need to do. Leaders are going to keep leading. Preachers are going to keep preaching. Parents are going to keep parenting. Spouses are going to keep spousing. Um, coaches are going to keep coaching, uh, employees are going to keep employing, um, because we're, we're diligent people, we're faithful people, we're hardworking people. But what ends up happening is that when we lose our joy, we lose our strength, and as a result, everything gets harder. We do it, but it takes more energy. We engage, but we get less out of it. And pretty soon, we're simply doing it because we're faithful to get it done. Not because it's life-giving. And pretty soon, it's like we're walking into a headwind up a hill filled with mud. Every step is, is, is drudgery. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When we lose our joy, we lose our strength. So it's worth pausing this morning and just asking a question. How are you doing with your joy? Over the last three years, I don't know really anybody who hasn't been hit in joy. <laughs> it's been a rough three years um, and uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and as a result of that, we all have sorrow. 
trauma, uh, maybe relational betrayal, vulnerability that hasn't been protected, so many things to process. So let me just ask you, I'm going to give you nine things, okay, nine, nine, nine things that are uh, a diagnostic for how are you doing on your joy, okay? So here's, here's my request for you as we go through this is, is quietly, uh, as I hit one, you're like, yeah, that might be me, just go ahead and pop a finger out, okay? And here's the other thing, stop looking at your neighbor, Okay, this is not the moment to be thinking, I wish so-and-so were here. I wonder if, I wonder if he's paying attention. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you're just focused on you right now. Okay, so it's one of those every, every head bowed, every eye closed moments. Okay, this is not for you to be paying attention to your neighbor. This is between you and you um, and hopefully God. All right, so nine, nine points, right? One, e- easily irritated. Do you find that you have oversized emotion to undersized problems? Easily irritated. Two, you struggle with motivation and procrastination. You have a hard time getting started. Easy things are hard. Emotionally difficult things are almost impossible. Three, you're experiencing a heightened level of anxiety. Things just churn. You may even have panic attacks. But there's just an unsettledness that doesn't allow you to rest. Fourth, you have trouble sleeping. You just can't turn off your brain. And so it keeps you from sleeping, it awakes you from sleep, it keeps you from resting deeply. The next one, you just have no patience. Your fuse is really short. Next one, indigestion or loss of appetite. It can, it can manifest either way. You don't have a hard time eating at all or what you eat just ain't working with you. Um, next one, unexpected emotional outbursts. You have unexpected emotional outbursts, right? So <laughs> like you're watching a movie and suddenly you break out in tears. Um, you know, you know, like, like you heard the beach ball analogy, right? You have all this stuff down here that you don't want to process. And so you have all these beach balls under the water and you're just trying to hold them all. And as long as they're under the water, you can try to forget them and everything's cool, right? And then something unexpected happens. A trigger occurs, something, and all of a sudden one pops up. You're like, oh, where'd that come from? You know where it came from, right? You have unexpected emotional outbursts. Eighth. You find that you're detached from life around you. You're having a really hard time staying emotionally connected. Truly, deeply, emotionally connected to your family, to your work, to the daily activities of life, to church. You're not, it's not that you're disconnected physically. You're just having a really hard time staying truly emotionally connected to your environment. And ninth, you often feel empty. Now, it can be depression, but it's more this just the sense that there's a gap that absolutely is missing something. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Now, if you've only got two and it's indigestion and sleeplessness, you can just take some Tums and you're going to be good. <laughs> okay? But if you've got more than those two, 
I want to talk to you this morning about how to get your joy back. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, the problem is in our culture, we don't know what to do with our negative feelings. We don't like negative feelings. We don't like sadness, anger, frustration, disappointment, hurt, betrayed vulnerability, and helplessness. We don't know what to do with them. I mean broader culture, American culture, Western culture. And it's true in the church as well. We like victory. We like triumph. We like, we like celebration, right? We like joy. We like to go from win to win to win. That's what we like. That's where we're comfortable. And as a result, we have a difficult time knowing how to process the pain that comes from living in a broken world. You guys have heard me say this before. We live in a broken world and it's full of sharp edges. And you simply cannot navigate this life without getting cut, without being betrayed, without being hurt, without being let down, without being disappointed, without a suffering loss. We don't know what to do with this. And as a result, we have those people who simply skip from victory to victory, or try, from joy to joy, cheerleaders for Jesus, all right? It's all resurrection, right? They like to be happy, joy of the Lord, but they have no tolerance for sadness. They don't know how to sit with somebody who's in pain. They don't know how to be a quiet, comforting presence to somebody who's suffering because they themselves are distant from their own suffering. They just avoid all those emotions. The flip side are those people who just give themselves over to it. They're emos for Jesus, right? They just, they wear black and black eyeliner and all black clothing, and I'm kidding, but um, they just, they just, they've given up, honestly, on ever having joy again. They just have given themselves over to despair. It's like, okay, yeah, I just have stopped hoping. So yeah, I'm just, I'm going to live in the grave, and I never hope to get to the empty tomb. But the cross of Christ, right, the path of Christ, the invitation of the gospel is to move through the valley of the shadow of death to the feast on the other side. It is to live in the death while simultaneously experiencing the joy of the resurrection. We have to experience the negative emotions. See, the problem is we think that these negative emotions are the enemy of our joy. And so as a result, we try to suppress them, we try to deny them, we try to destroy them. And the reality is that we have to experience them in order to no longer be controlled by them. If we want to be restored to our joy, we have to pass through the valley of our suffering. Our feelings must be experienced because they're real. Now, as we're going to take a look at, they're not always true, but they are real. And as a result, we must experience our feelings. We must feel our feelings. If you want to return to your joy, and here's where we're going this morning, you've got to learn how to lament. So we're talking about lamenting, but I, I, I want you to hear up front, this sermon's about joy. That's what it's about. Because lament is not a distraction from joy. It is, it is not a temporary um, competition with joy. Lament is, in fact, the path to joy. If you want to grow strong in joy, you have to learn how to process the negative emotions with God in lament. 
So let's take a look at Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, these two Psalms, I'm doing both of them together. I, I was planning on just doing 42, but the more I was reading 42 and 43, I'm like, holy cow, these are like one Psalm. And then I went and did some reading and some research and found out that a lot of scholars, in fact, think that originally this was a single Psalm that, that later got divided into two Psalms for whatever reason. Um, nothing, nothing bad taking place here, just potentially somewhere along the line, someone decided it could be two Psalms. Uh, there are similar language, similar choruses, and, and the themes just flow together. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, the best I can tell from these psalms, you're dealing with somebody. We don't know exactly um, uh, who the psalmist is. It's a mascal of the son of, sons of Korah. This, this person was, from the best I can tell, a leader, somebody who led the people of God. It talks about him remembering leading the people of God in song uh, to the temple. Um, but somewhere along the line, the people he led turned on him. He has been emotionally betrayed. He has become vulnerable to their attack. They are slandering him. Uh, they are undermining him. They are attacking him and potentially even seeking to murder him. It's a, it's a little bit unclear from, from the psalm itself. Um, but he is processing all of those complex emotions. All right, so let's take a look at Psalm 42, and we're going to read through Psalm 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. When they said to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and the unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do, I go, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, what I want to do this morning is give you a pathway to lament. Lament is not intuitive for our culture or our churches. You probably, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon that taught me how to lament. Um, and that's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you 
the pathway back to joy, how we actually move through this process. And there are four principles to lament. First of all, it is God-focused. Second of all, it is me-focused. Thirdly, it is need-focused. And then finally, it is truth-focused. Those are the four points that we're moving our way through. So first of all, it is God-focused. You ever seen those videos of like a dog in a shelter sitting in the corner? Like it won't let anybody touch it. It won't let anybody near it. and, And there's some kind kid usually in the shelter that just goes and sits in there for a little while, makes themselves really small, inches a little bit closer, kind of puts out their hand. And of course, they're beautiful videos because at the end, the dog is all happy and wagging its tail. And it's like a whole new dog because it finally has, you know, opened its heart up to receive love. That's us, y'all. When we get hurt, our first inclination typically is to go crawl into the corner because we don't trust, because we're afraid that the hand that has reached out to us will strike us, will harm us, will wound us. The first step in moving into genuine lament is to draw near to God in trust instead of pull away in fear. Typically, when we get hurt, the first thing we want to do is we want to go into a corner, isolate ourselves from God, and nurse our wounds. We just want to rehearse how life is unfair, unjust, how I've been treated wrongly, and they're jerks. And we need to recognize that that inclination of the soul robs us of joy by cutting us off from the source of joy. We need to move toward God in trust instead of pull away in fear, because what we really need above all else is a renewed experience of His love. That is the first and most necessary thing we need in order to move through the pain and back to our joy. Take a look at 42 verses 1 and 2, probably the two most famous verses in the psalm. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As a deer pants for streams of water. Uh, Very poetic. And it sounds really very sweet in some ways. I've seen it. I don't remember if it was at Hallmark or back at some Christian bookstore, but I've seen it like on a cup or like on a card, you know, my soul, right? Here's the thing. When does a, when does a deer pant for water? Like when it's really thirsty? It's dehydrated and it's dying of thirst. When, the, when the, you've got a deer out in the Middle Eastern desert and it doesn't know where the water is, and it is panting for water, right? There is nothing cute about this. The psalmist is like, Lord, I'm freaking dying here. My soul is parched. I am drying up. I am spiritually dehydrated. But I'm dying for you. I'm thirsty for your love, for your presence. What I really need is you, your love, your protection, your healing presence. Usually when we show up to God, the first thing we want is a change in our circumstances. And that's really natural, but just be aware of it. First thing we typically do, like when we move toward God, is we're like, Lord, I want you to, I want you to fix this thing that's broken. I want you to undo this thing that was done. I want you to judge this person 
that hurt me. Um, I want a change in my circumstances. But the beginning of lament is to realize that joy doesn't come from a new set of circumstances around me, but a renewed experience of God's love within me in my current circumstances. My joy is not dependent on my circumstances. My joy is dependent on my experience of love. And instead of becoming focused on my external circumstances, what I want changed, what I want fixed, what I really need is to recognize that what I need is an increased experience of God's presence. Listen, life isn't going to get lighter. That's not the way it works. God wouldn't be doing you any favors if, if you're like, okay, this is a little too heavy. He's like, all right, I'll undo this. I'll fix this. I'll get rid of this guy. We don't need life to get lighter. What we need to do is get stronger. We need a joy that can sustain us through the difficulties of life. The joy of the Lord is my strength, not a new set of circumstances. The joy of the Lord is my strength, not a lighter load. Because here's the thing, there are two ways to work your way through a heavy season. It can either get lighter or I can get stronger. And of the two choices, I'm going to take stronger. Because that changes me, it transforms me, it increases my resilience and allows me to deal with the hardships of life without curling up in the fetal position in a corner. You can only get stronger by reconnecting with God's love for you. You can only get stronger by, in the midst of pain, learning to move toward God, to experience His love in the midst of pain. God wants to renew your experience of His love. So the first principle of lament is that it's God-focused. What that means is that I am going to move intentionally toward God, recognizing that the primary thing I need is, in fact, a greater experience of God's presence, His protection, and His love. Right? So I move toward God to have that deep need met. So it's first of all God-focused, but then it has to become me-focused as well. For some of you, this is going to make you really uncomfortable because you don't like to think about you. You don't like to talk about you. You don't like to process you. I should just be able to focus completely on God, never have to pay attention to myself. The problem is there are two people in this relationship with God, God and you. God is showing up completely honest, vulnerable, and present. You're not. If you're not willing to process your pain, if you're not willing to actually do the deep work of discovering who you are, the motivations that drive you, the wounds that, that, that have not only marked your past but, but continue to influence your future, you're showing up to a meeting without genuine honesty with God. And as a result, while He is there, fully honest, fully present, you're not. It doesn't change the reality of his love for you, but it will change your experience of his love for you. One of the critical pieces of lament is showing up to process me, to actually work through my emotions, to actually expose my motivations. And this is really hard because it takes a tremendous amount of humility. 
When I get wounded, what I want to do is I want to focus on the person who wounded me because they're an idiot. It's easy to focus on their flaws, to blame them for everything, to get really, really mad. What I don't want to do is take a look at how their behavior brought things out in me I don't want to see about me. I want to blame them. That's not really me. If they hadn't have done this, this wouldn't have come out of me. But I hate to tell you this. If it's not in you, it's not going to come out of you. Like people are like, that was just a really, really bad day. That's not how I normally am. Sometimes on your worst day, that's when you get your best glimpse of who you really are. If it's not in there, it doesn't come out of you. It can only come out if it's already in there. Lament is an invitation to come into the presence of God and just humbly and honestly take a look and explore what are the emotional realities? What are the woundedness? What are the lies that I believe? What are the things that are motivating me? What are, what are these things that are hurting me? Right? In verse uh, 3 and 42, the psalmist says, my tears have been my food day and night. This is a process. You need to realize that as you process your pain, it's going to take time. Um, I like to be efficient with this stuff. I like to get it done and have it done. I get a little impatient with myself sometimes when I'm like, holy cow, am I still processing this? Holy cow, this still is bothering me? What is wrong with me? I'm an adult. I'm a man. I've been through harder stuff than this. Why is this still bugging me? You know how long it takes to process pain? As long as it takes. There's no way to rush the process. You can't microwave healing. You can only heal. And in fact, your attempts to rush the process actually hinder the process. My tears have been my food night and day. You need to give yourself patience and grace. Instead of shaming yourself and beating yourself up for not being over it yet, for still struggling with it, you need to give yourself grace and allow yourself to actually process the emotions that are there, own them, see them, feel your feelings, right? In verse 7, this process often brings things out that we don't necessarily want to give voice to, right? In verse 7, the psalmist says, Lord, right now, um, in verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves, they've gone over me. Lord, it feels like your waves are coming at me right now. And they're not waves of blessing. They're not waves of joy. They're the kind of breakers that break me. They're pummeling me. They're beating me. It's like a waterfall that's just pounding me down and robbing me of oxygen. God, you're doing this. See, sometimes our lament is not only a processing of our feelings, it is a processing of our perspective. It's not uncommon when we're in pain to accuse God because we know that God had the ability to keep these things from happening. The God that we trusted who's in control of all things didn't control these things, not the way I wanted them to. And as a result, I have suffered and I've experienced pain. Verse 9, the psalmist says, man, God, you're my rock, but you know what? It feels like you've totally forgotten me. Do you even remember me? You're like the foundation of my life. 
Where are you? In 43.2, he says, I've given my life to you. I've, 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 I've invested everything. Why have you rejected me? Because that's how it feels right now. Like, not only are you absent, but you're purposely absent. You not only allowed these things to happen, it feels like you've rejected them and, and, and potentially caused them to happen. Listen, lamenting, when you're processing, doing this me-focused thing, it's not a time to be polite or filtered. It's a time to be honest. It is a time to, to just let whatever's there come out, vent to God, complain to God, accuse God, but above all, seek to be honest with yourself and with God. Here's the thing, when you're meeting with God in lament, I don't know if you know this, but he like already knows what's in there before you know. Like you're not going to surprise him with the stuff that comes out. Like he's like, yeah, I knew that was there. Been waiting for you to see it. Yep, I knew that resentment was there. I was waiting for you to give voice to it. I knew that you were accusing me. I needed you to know you were accusing me. God already knows and he is still patiently and lovingly waiting for you to go through the process of knowing how you're approaching God, to to know what what lies you're believing, what accusations you're holding, what resentments you're nursing. The process isn't so that God will know you. The process is so that you will know you. You may shock yourself when you see what actually comes out. You may be really uncomfortable with some of the stuff that comes out. But it is helpful to remember that lamenting is a process, not a finished product. Each stage of lament, again, the critical thing is to be honest, not necessarily accurate, right? It's important to say this is how it feels, even though you know in the back of your mind it's not the way it actually is. Does that make sense to you? Sometimes you feel Like your feelings are real, but your feelings aren't true, but it's still important for you to feel your feelings and to work your way through them, right? That's that's where understanding that it's a process is really important. Otherwise, you're going to try to, again, shortcut the circuit, the the process. You're you're going to be like, you're going to be like, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? And then in the back of your mind, you're going to have that little critic popping up like, what's your problem? Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. What's your problem? Tell the critic, shut up. You need to work through the process without trying to over-spiritualize yourself, without trying to shame yourself, without trying to beat yourself into the image of who you think you're supposed to be or to feel the things you think you're supposed to feel. You actually have to go through the valley, which means you have to be honest. But remember while you're walking through the valley that while your feelings are real, they are not always true. So just because you feel it doesn't mean that it defines your reality. Here's the the bad thing. If If you refuse to feel it and you refuse to acknowledge it, it stays in the background. You bury it 
and you think it's gone, but you didn't bury it. It's like burying radioactive material. It just bleeds out. And what ends up happening is even though that feeling isn't true, it shapes how you experience truth. If I have an accusation against God that I'm afraid to voice and afraid to surface, what ends up happening is I bury that. I refuse to deal with that. I refuse to see that. And pretty soon it's influencing everything in my mistrust for God. It isn't true but it will shape my experience of what is true. God's still working toward me in love. God is still initiating toward me in love. God is still moving toward me in grace, but I feel it as a threat. And I'm afraid to trust him. It's really important to surface the reality because your feelings shape your experience of truth, even though those feelings may not be true. So the key here is to be honest about your feelings in the presence of God, right? First, first God-focused, then me-focused, right? It's the only way that works. If you're me-focused first, you're not lamenting, you're grumbling. <laughs> you're not going to be delivered from the lies because you need the presence of grace. Thirdly, you need to be need-focused. Need-focused. Sometimes the hardest thing about lament isn't being vulnerable with God. For some of you, that's really hard. You don't even know how to feel your feelings. You just know, yeah, I don't feel very good. <laughs> So you're going to have to go through the process of actually figuring out what your feelings are. Like, oh yeah, I guess that's sadness. Mm, I guess that, that, that's a little bit of despondency. Mm, that, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to actually go through the process. Others would be like, yeah, that's no problem. I totally know what my feelings are and I can express them to God. Your hard part isn't going to be feeling your feelings. Your hard part is going to be honest in asking God for help. You know why? One of two reasons. The first, because you hate to feel needy. You hate to feel helpless. You like to be the helper, not the one who needs help. You like to be the rescuer, not the one who needs to be rescued. You like to be the hero, not the person in distress. And you're terrified of your neediness. Because you're afraid that when people know, when God knows just how needy you are, you're going to be rejected. And your needs won't be met. And you won't get to be the hero of your own story. That's the first. The second is that because you've trusted so many times before, and been disappointed, or maybe not even so many times, just in critical moments, you trusted God, and what you trusted God for didn't come to come out the way you wanted it to, to come. To ask for God to meet your need is terrifying because that requires you to hope that God will do it. And you're afraid to have faith again because faith leads to disappointment. If I don't hope for it, I won't be disappointed when I don't get it. It's hard for you to express what you need to God because it's hard for you to actually have faith in God. Despair is easier. If I don't have to trust God, I won't be disappointed by God. If I don't have to open up my heart again and express my need, 
then I won't be further wounded when that need is not met. The reason this is so critically important to actually put into words what you need from God is because it reconnects your faith to your hope. And you cannot have joy without hope. Lament takes you back to joy by reconnecting your trust with your anticipation that God is actually going to bless you. It reconnects your faith with your hope. And hope breeds joy. It takes a lot of humility to trust God. So it humbles our pride. It takes a lot of faith to trust God because it makes us be vulnerable once again with a God who doesn't always do exactly what we want him to do or answer our prayers in exactly the way we want them answered. It takes a lot of courage. But that's exactly the point. Lament renews our joy by reconnecting our faith with our hope, right? In 43.1, the psalmist cries out, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people. In 43.3, he says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Two very, very specific requests. Right? He is expressing his need to God. Now, here's what I want you to catch. How long do you think it took him to get there? Like, how many times did he have to make his need known to God before he actually knew what he needed? Because normally the first time you ask, you don't really know what you need. The first time you ask, you're going you're to go immediately toward, this is what's going to give me relief. This is what's going to give me pleasure. This is what's going to, right? And so your first, your first request might be, God, strike them dead. May your hand come down from heaven and strike them naked in the public marketplace that they may experience the same exposure of shame that they have tried to inflict on me. Right? How, many, how many requests did the psalmist have to work through? <laughs> right? But here's the thing. This is the beauty. Because you're doing it in the presence of God, renewing your experience of the love of God, resting in the grace of God, what you find is that as you process your feelings and your requests, you're coming to a greater understanding both of who you are and how God wants you to move forward. As you lean into the grace of God to meet you in the pain, you'll find that the grace of God frees you to be generous. He doesn't say, destroy them. What does he say? Vindicate me, Lord. I'm not going to be made whole by their destruction. My joy is not going to be restored by their humiliation. What do I really want? Lord, I want you to vindicate me. I want my name once again, to, to be honestly spoken of, not slandered. I, I, want, I want to stand in your glory, not in, in the heaping of man's shame. Vindicate me. And Lord, give me light so I know how to come back to your holy hill, so I know how to come back into your presence. That's what I really want. Right? Maybe the first time he asked, it was, it was Lord, destroy my enemies. But as he prayed it, and as he articulated it, and as he worked his way through grace, it finally comes around to him saying, you know what my deepest need is, Lord? 
I need you to turn the light switch on because I don't know how to get back to you. You feel really far away right now. I don't know how to get back to your holy hill. I'm like in these foreign mountains. And I want to come back into the thriving goodness of your presence. Will you turn on your light so I know the way? Are you catching that this is a process? It's important to work through the process. The first psalm you develop is not going to be your final psalm. Your first lament is not going to be your finalized lament. In the beginning, you don't even know what you need. You want revenge, you want relief, you want quick answers, but as you sit with God, renewing your experience of God's love for you, being honest with Him and with yourself, forming even the words to know how to ask for what you need, God will be pouring grace out on you through the whole process. And as you receive that grace, you are changed by that grace, and you grow in that grace, and you get stronger in that grace. And you learn. You learn how to articulate your heart's needs to yourself and to God, to know how to even, to know what to ask for. Finally, it's truth-focused. Okay, so I'm God-focused, first and foremost, coming into the presence of God, recognizing my deepest appetite is for His love. It's me-focused. I'm actually going to open up my heart and articulate my feelings. I'm going to feel my feelings before God and actually learn to discover the hidden things of my own heart. It is need-focused. I am going to learn how to articulate my needs before God and have enough trust and faith in God to actually ask Him for what I need. And then finally, it is truth-focused. Because this is such a messy process, because there are so many lies in our hearts, there is so much seductive alluring of, of sin and pride in my own heart, not just out there attacking me, but in here attacking me, right? That wants to, to make me the victim and make me the one who's, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but in this psalm, there is one stanza that's repeated three times. It's, it's in um, 42.5, 42.11, and then again at 43.5. It's a single stanza repeated three times, which anytime you see repetition like that, you need to pay attention to it. It's the psalmist reminding himself of a critical truth. He says this, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Now, he's not shaming himself. He's reminding himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's not just listening to his heart, he's speaking to his heart. He's not simply uncovering the turmoil of his heart, he is speaking the truths of God's promises and his character into that turmoil, reminding himself of who God is. Reminding himself of the promises of God. You are my salvation. You are my God. You are my joy. You are the God who's going to tell a better story for my life than I would tell for myself. You are the God who is above all things. You are the God who is redeeming and restoring. You are the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. It is speaking to my heart so that as I am processing, I don't get lost unmoored from the love of God. 
Lament is a process where we open up with God about our pain. But we don't want to get lost in that pain. The goal, ultimately, is to get more of God. A deeper sense of His presence, a deeper confidence in His power, a deeper experience of His grace. And this is why we have to be careful to speak the truth to ourselves over and over and over. In other words, we've got to preach the gospel to our own hearts. Otherwise, our laments will just become echo chambers of our own bitterness. If we become unmoored from the love of God, our laments are no longer laments to God. They become laments of our flesh against God. Listen, the wounds that you've endured are unfair. They hurt and they're bad. But in the midst of processing that, you have to remember who God is. You have to remember the price he's paid to redeem you and restore you. How clearly he has demonstrated to you that he loves you and that he's for you. That you do not have a God who stands separate from your suffering, above and apart, but a God who willingly enters into it that he might walk with you through it. That even though you walk through the, foul, uh, uh, through the shadow of the cross, you don't walk alone. And that the shadow of the cross, the path that takes you through the shadow of the cross will lead you to the empty tomb. You have to remind yourself, what is is not all there is. And that while my feelings are real, they're not always true. So the psalmist isn't shaming himself for feeling sorrow. He's reminding himself that in his sorrow, there's still hope. That it may feel hopeless, and maybe that's even part of the process, is expressing that and working his way through the hopelessness, but not to give himself over to that hopelessness. He says, I will walk in hope in God. I will trust in the promises of God. I will walk in light of his love. Even if emotionally, all I'm doing is talking to myself and not feeling this stuff. But I will speak to my heart and not just listen to it. So the four principles, y'all. God-focused, me-focused, need-focused, truth-focused. I'm going to give you one final that's not actually part of the four. And that's this. You just kind of have to do it over and over and over again. It's called repeat. We want this thing to be a one and done. Right? I want to, I want to go do my lament. And I don't want it to be like visiting the surgeon. I just go, you cut it open, you cut it out, you fix it, you sew it up, I go home. It's very unpleasant, but it's over. That's not the way lament works. Lament is visiting the physical therapist. Every day. Going and doing the thing that hurts again and again, and again. Because every time you do it again, you get stronger. It's unpleasant. It's long-term. It's painful. The way we develop our laments, or you, know, it's, you don't just get to go wipe this thing and get it done. It's a principle. It's a process. 
of re-entering the presence of God, once again opening our hearts to God, once again expressing our needs to God, once again speaking truth to our hearts in the midst of that. And every single time we go through the process, we're changed. We grow. We're reconnected a little bit more powerfully to joy. And sometimes, man, sometimes you'll go through a lamenting process and it is like God turned on a light bulb and it feels like life is completely different and healed. And it's beautiful. And sometimes you show up every single day and it feels like it's getting worse. And that's where you have to trust the God of the process. That at the end of the day, what you truly need is a deeper, more profound experience of the love of God. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That'll keep you from giving into the temptation of, of hitting eject on the process or doing something else. One final point in this, why we have to repeat this. Why is it a process? Why? Because here, you know, the goal of lament isn't to get rid of our sadness. The goal of lament isn't to like wipe off the whiteboard and just have it all go away. You don't get rid of your sadness. You integrate it. It becomes part of you. And as long as you're trying to keep it out there, it can't heal in here. The goal of lament is to integrate your sadness into your joy. To allow the joy of the Lord to redefine your experience and relationship with that sadness. See, again, I'm going to remind you, sadness is not the enemy of joy. Right? You guys ever seen Inside Out? Come on now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch it. Like, for real, go watch Inside Out. It's a great Pixar movie. It'll teach you a lot about your own heart, okay? Joy and sadness need each other. They're actually stronger together. And as long as joy is trying to destroy sadness, you'll never be integrated. And you'll never be whole. Lament is the path to wholeness. Lament is the path to healing. Lament is the path to integrating your sorrow into your joy. And that process changes you, transforms you, and frees you. So that once again, the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. We're going to uh, share communion together. Um, for reflection time, I'm not going to give you some questions. What I'm going to do is just kind of give you an open-ended lament to work with. Because of last week's events, I ended up combining two sermons into one, and this week was supposed to be all about learning how to create your own lament. Well, here you go. Um, what I want you to do in, the, in this time is just start thinking through, how would I fill this in? God focus, me focus, need focus, truth focus. What's my lament? What is the Spirit leading me to do? Okay, so I'm just going to create a little bit of space, a little bit of time for you to begin the process. Just start thinking about it, okay? And then we're going to share communion together and we're going to sing, okay? But let me pray for us and then we'll go into this time of reflection. Father, we thank you that you are the God who meets us in our sorrow.
You're the one who knows our sorrow inside and out. Lord, you know our sorrow because you've experienced sorrow. You know our pain because you've experienced pain. There is no betrayal of trust. There is no disappointment of hope. There is no physical, emotional complication of life that you do not know from experience because you humbled yourself enough to enter into this broken world so that you might redeem us out of it and walk with us through it. Where some of my friends are processing profound pain, some of my friends are dealing with indescribable loss. Some of my friends are are dealing with, with wounds in their souls They don't even know how to begin. Spirit, will you come alongside them this morning? Whisper to them your presence. Strengthen their faith. Reawaken their hope. That they might grow hungry for your joy and find the courage necessary to begin this journey or maybe to begin it again for the 100th time. And Lord, I would pray for those who are here this morning who haven't believed in Jesus, haven't received the gift of grace. Spirit, will you open their eyes to see that the path to joy is in all those other things they're chasing. The path of joy goes through the cross and comes out through the empty tomb. It is believing in Jesus, receiving grace, being forgiven and made new. Give them the faith to receive that gift this morning.